Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Awesome. Oh, I love to do this. This is fun. This is fun. I I love speaking and sharing what God has done in my life. I often, when I, if you've never heard me teach up here, raise your hand. Have you never? Awesome. Well, I uh, share a lot from my own personal story because uh, Bible says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so I um, am overcoming and have overcome. And so I share a lot from my story and what God has done in my life. Um, Like Jarrett said, we've been in a series uh, just talking about the art of receiving and how to receive love. Um, And this stuff that we've been teaching on um, is stuff that Joel and I have been practicing in our marriage for... 15 years, 13 years. And so um, a lot of this stuff has changed our lives. And so I loved uh, being able to share it with you. Um, So Joel spoke about selfishness and self-reliance and how those things keep you from receiving love. If you haven't watched it yet or heard it, I suggest go online, go on our website, watch it. It's amazing. Um, And so today I am going to speak on uh, self-condemnation. And he shared last week that He was stuck in self-reliance, I was stuck in self-condemnation, and that was a really interesting dynamic in our marriage. Um, And so I'm gonna share part of my story, and I'm going to share two paradigms, and the thought process that almost stole my destiny, and the antidote to it. And so my desire is that from through my story today, you would be able to receive uh, just what what God has done in my life, and and if you need it done in your life, that you would too. and so if you know me, I, uh, I love to flea market shop and I love old things. I rarely pay full price for anything. Um, you can find me digging through a trash pile anywhere, especially on vacation. That's like my favorite thing to do. Um, I wanna go find junk shops and find treasures. Um, and so Joel and I, a few years ago, you've probably heard this story, we were at a um, an estate sale and there was a small little trunk in a corner of a garage and I, Uh, it caught my eye and I opened it and I thought, oh no, we should buy this trunk. Not quite sure, just feel like we need to buy this trunk. Went up to the front, asked them how much it was. They said $15. So we bought the trunk and Joel was like, what's so big on this trunk? And so we took it home. We opened up the trunk and inside was over 500 pieces of antique doll clothes. And so I'm like, I don't know, but I feel like this is worth a lot of money. And so we started doing research and Joel was like, I think we do. Cause we found like one of them and it was worth like $25 for one little dress. And so we're like, uh, okay, I think this is, has some value to it. So we put it on eBay to sell and we set the bid, you know, real low. And it was, I think it was like a few days that it was on there. And like there were a few bids and then um, we're like, well, at least we'll get our $15 back, you know? And, uh, and so it got towards the end of the bidding. And if you've ever done anything like that, it like, it goes fast at the end. And so we looked and it was like, Joel was like, someone just bid a hundred dollars. And we're like, score, we can go buy a couch now, you know? This was early on in marriage. And, um, and then in the last few minutes, it jumped up like, 150, 
200. And like in the last few seconds, it was jumping and jumping and jumping. Someone paid over $500 for those doll clothes. She probably turned around and sold them and made a lot more, but someone paid $500 for this $15 trunk. And we had no idea the worth of that, but someone was willing to pay $500 for it. They said that's worth at least $500 and they paid it. Isn't that amazing? Yes, and then we, I think we like took a trip on it or something. We, we made that $500 stretch real far. But something's worth is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. How much does a house in Central Texas, how much is it worth? Whatever a Californian is willing to pay for it. <laughs> Right, yes, yeah. So something's worth is determined by what, if you're from California, welcome. Welcome to Texas. We will take your money, yes. How, (laughs) so how much is your life worth? How much is your life worth? So many times I think we look at our own lives and we're like, oh, it's not worth a lot. Look at them. Look at the favor they have on their life. Look at the blessing they have. My life must not be worth a lot. And we often, we, we, we put low value on our lives, but your life is worth the death of Jesus. Your life is so valuable that he died for you and he took your shame and your rejection and everything that would try to keep you from being who God created you to be. And he said, she's worth it. He's worth it. I'm gonna give my life I was thinking about Jesus and whenever he went to the cross this morning and, and whenever all the world was condemning him and saying his life is worthless, he did not lose sight of his own worth. He went to the cross and he said, I'm not gonna lose sight of my own worth and I'm not gonna lose sight of all of their worth either. I'm still gonna die for them because they are worth it. Even though when they were saying, condemn him, he loves us and he values us and your life is worth his life. But so many times our worth is determined in childhood, right? Like we have these experiences whenever we're little and we think, you know, someone communicates to us, your needs are a burden. And you think, oh, my life must not be worth a lot. My life must not be worth a lot or, or they wouldn't have left or they wouldn't have spoken to me that way, or that bad thing wouldn't have happened to me, or I wouldn't have felt that rejection. We, we oftentimes learn that from, from, child and, from childhood, and we often project that onto God. We think, well, if they didn't value me, then God must not value me. And if he valued me, then that wouldn't have happened to me. And so we, we grow up with this internal dialogue And so my journey has been learning where my worth has been marred, forgiving those people who have marred it, those situations that have marred it, learning to think differently and learning how to walk in gratitude. That's been my journey. That's been me for the past 12 years. And um, just during that ministry time, I was learning that. I made a decision recently that I've been like, oh God, if I wouldn't have made that decision, then this wouldn't have happened. And now I'm suffering the consequences of it. And God was just breaking off condemnation in me in that moment where he was like, do you not think that I'm so big that I cannot undo that decision that you made? You don't have to live with the consequence of that. And I started cracking up laughing because I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're so right that I would worry about this small thing thinking that you're not big enough. But we struggle in that place of worth. 
oh, that decision, it was so stupid, and now I have to suffer the consequences of it. Maybe that was a message spoken to you in childhood. You shouldn't have done that. Now you're gonna suffer it. And we're disconnected, and our worth is marred. So in Genesis 2, it talks about two trees. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's a tree of life. And we've been talking about that lately. There's two trees. And in the garden, God said, you can eat from this tree, but don't eat from this tree or you'll die. And so there's these two trees. And we still are faced with these trees in our lives. We can either eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or we could eat from the tree of life. So in Genesis 3, so that happens in Genesis 2. In Genesis 3, um, we see that, that Adam and Eve re- eat from the wrong tree and they feel disconnected from God. They try to take life into their own hands and they are cut off from God or they think they're cut off from God. They disconnect from the true source of life. And in that moment, shame entered the picture. So whenever we choose to eat from the wrong tree and not from the tree of life, the tree of connection with God, shame enters into the picture. And we, and we know the story that they eat from the tree and God comes looking for them and they run and hide and they try to cover up their shame. They try to take their life into their own hands and they cover themselves because they're afraid of their nakedness. They're afraid of being found out and it's shame. It's that fear of being punished that fear of being disconnected. Oh no, he's gonna find out what I did and he's gonna see my vulnerability. My vulnerability makes me scared. He's gonna see my nakedness and I've gotta cover myself. And that's what they did. That's when shame entered in. And that's what causes us to hide. That's what causes us to hide. Shame will tell you what you are not and keep you from the one voice that can tell you who you are. I love Brene Brown's definition of shame. It's an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. We believe something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And I'm sure that we all, as we hear that, we're like, yep, I've felt that before in my life. I know that feeling. And the lie is that You're unworthy of connection. We believe something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. It's the feeling that there's something uniquely wrong with me. That feeling, like, oh, if I just wasn't so loud, if I wasn't such a girl, if I wasn't such a strong leader, if I wasn't slow, if I, all those things, There's something uniquely wrong with me and it's that shame, that feeling of failure that comes in and the enemy uses it to keep us in bondage from stepping into who we really were created to be. We believe the lie that there is something uniquely wrong with me because if there wasn't, then that painful experience would not have happened to me. I must have caused it. I was processing this uh, recently where I, I've learned that my greatest needs, the way I receive love is through respect, approval, and attention. So I'm like, when someone gives me respect, approval, or attention, it hits the target. And so I hadn't received some approval and I was like, what did I do? Why won't they love me? Why can't they approve of me? What, 
What did I do? And in that moment, Holy Spirit was like, quit condemning yourself. Shame off of you. It's not you. It's not you. You can just release. You can receive it from me and you can move forward. Because in the past, that would try to keep me like, oh, there must be something wrong. They don't love me, so I can't be me, right? So it comes in all the time. It's just, it's like, you know, just trying, the enemy just trying to stop us. Don't be you, don't be you, don't be you, shame on you, right? In our day-to-day experiences. So when I, this is where I think shame entered into my story. When I was four years old, something traumatic happened in my life and there was something done against me that, marred me. It stole my innocence, and I um, didn't even realize it was a trauma when I was that age. But at four, I started to feel like, oh, there's something uniquely wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. Um, And shame came in, and I felt like I needed to hide. I think the enemy used that as the door to come in and, and just say, if you weren't so much like this, then this wouldn't have happened to you. And shame came in, And then it was reinforced through experiences in my life, not making it into the gifted and talented when I was in first grade. Oh, I must not be smart enough. My best friend made it, I didn't make it. Um, What else happened? Uh, Like not making certain teams. I remember that I wasn't a very fast runner or very strong runner. So whenever we played like uh, Red Rover, Red Rover, I could never break through the arm. (laughs) And they'd be like, oh, Lauren. And I would take that as, oh, if I just was a boy, if I was stronger, if I was more athletic, then I'd be accepted. Then they'd want me on their team. So it, it comes in in different, in different times, not being invited to certain events or parties. Um, uh, I was second born. So, and my, my older brother was hearing impaired. And so whenever I didn't get the attention that he got, because one of my highest needs is attention. Um, and so whenever I didn't get the attention that he got, I would be like, oh, there must be something wrong with me that, that that's the reason why I'm not getting my need met. And it's nothing that my parents put on me. It's just messages that I received And so this is where the enemy used this door to condemn me. It led to a life of hiding, of addicted behaviors, of abusive relationships. I just, my worth was so marred. I felt like there was something wrong with me. And then I finally um, got breakthrough. When I was 19, I went to like a freedom weekend, like what we had a few weeks ago. And I was actually able to share part of my story for the first time. I had carried for 15 years this like shame, this ugh. And I finally found someone that was safe where I could be like, this happened and this is what I feel because of it. And it lifted off of me. I thought I was going to the grave with it. And you know that feeling of like, oh, I can't let anyone know this because surely they would not love me. And so I finally, I let it go and and freedom came. And it has been a journey since then, walking in greater freedom from that place. And so I wanna say to you, if you are um, in here in this place and you're like, I got some stuff, you know, like some things that I've thought or done or said or been done to me. So I, someone's hurt me, someone's left me, someone's walked out on me. And I've never told anyone that this painful thing and I've been carrying it. 
I just want you to know that there's hope for you. If I could get free, there are things in my story that I did not tell Joel till two years after we were married. Because I was so sure if he knew this thing, he would not want to marry me. He, he was my first, he was, I was his first kiss. And I'm like, no way am I going to tell him everything. Because he would think I was dirty and he would not want to marry me. And when I finally in our marriage shared that with him, when I had the safety to be vulnerable enough, whenever I trusted, I, that was the reality because I had been so hurt and disappointed that I didn't trust. That's what it was. I didn't trust that whenever I exposed these like very vulnerable things of me, because when I was four and vulnerable, it was taken advantage of. And so if I expose these things, then you're, you're gonna hurt me. That was my fear. And so I had to get to the place of where I was willing to be vulnerable enough and to trust him enough to say, yeah, I'll let you into this place in my life. So when we fear disconnection, we become dangerous. When we fear disconnection, we become dangerous. And it's not because we wanna be dangerous or act erratically or make bad behaviors. I think it's because we don't want to die. And we're like, if I, um, if I get disconnected, then I'm gonna be cut off from this life source and I need to do whatever to self-preserve. And so we self-preserve. So we make stupid decisions. We're like, oh, why did I do that? Because we don't wanna die. We wanna be loved. We wanna be connected. So we make decisions. Oh, fine, I'll date that guy. At least I won't be alone and cut off and disconnected. I'll stay stuck in this job forever because I don't wanna be disconnected. I'll, I'll compromise in this way. I'll give into that addiction again because it brings comfort and peace and all the things that I need. It makes me feel loved kind of makes me feel safe, whatever the need is. And so I'll give into it because I don't want to be cut off. I don't want to feel that pain again. And I think God looks at those things and he's not angry. He's not disgusted. It's not a burden. He doesn't look at it and go, oh, why are you still messing with that? He's like, I get it. I made you to be loved. I made you to be connected. And this horrible thing happened and this disappointing thing happened. And I get it. You just need to come to me, your life source. You need to reconnect with me. You won't feel that disconnection, but I'm not angry at you. Even if you did it last night, he's not angry at you. He loves you. He died for you. Think about your own children when they make a stupid decision or I think that's maybe kind of hard because we're like, well, when I was a kid and I made that decision, I was cut off. Or my sibling, they were cut off and I don't want that to happen to me. But I just want to say, that's not God. Your experience with your parents you have maybe had some amazing experiences, but it's not God. When they cut you off, when they shamed you, it wasn't God's voice. When that coach shamed you, rejected you, you can be free today. You don't have to carry that voice anymore and let it determine your destiny anymore. So there's two paradigms 
that go with the two trees. There's a punishment paradigm and there's a new covenant paradigm. In the punishment paradigm, the goal is self-preservation. My failures and flaws make me unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. I deserve disconnection and punishment. So does everyone else with flaws and failures. With this paradigm, you avoid punishment by hiding or fitting in through people-pleasing or punishing others when hurt or offended. When you live from this tree, that's the paradigm that we see life through. And it's really easy, I think, in America because we have this like guilt-innocence justice system. So we're like, who did it? They're out. Who's innocent? They're in, right? And we wanna punish and we wanna cut off. And, and as I have been a parent, ooh, this thing in me where I wanna punish my kids whenever they're not doing what I want them to do and I want them to know the consequence of their bad decision and I wanna punish them, I wanna cut them off. And oftentimes it's because I fear punishment on myself because I think God is gonna punish me if I don't get this right. Or one day when they're in counseling, they're gonna punish me. (laughs) I'm afraid of the consequences, the fallout. But whenever we live in that place, it's self-protection. We live in this self-protecting place instead of saying, God, you can be my defender. I don't need to punish them. In this paradigm, the goal is connection. Through Jesus, I have become a son or daughter who is worthy of love, belonging, and connection. My mistakes do not disqualify me from the Father's love. When we live in this tree, my mistakes do not disqualify me. I may feel this from people, I may experience it, but the truth is I am not disconnected from God. He has not removed his love from me. He promises he will not remove his love from us. He has not removed his love from you and he will not. Even if you've never sinned in your life and you're gonna sin tomorrow, he's not gonna reject you tomorrow. We treat ourselves and others the way we perceive God is treating us. We treat ourselves and others the way we perceive God is treating us. So I think what God wants is us to see through this other tree. He wants us to live from this this tree of this life tree that says I'm worthy, I'm valuable. I don't have to prove my worth. I just have to come and receive. I just have to receive from this tree. I don't even have to make the fruit grow. I just gotta go and eat it and ingest it. It's just mine to take in. So when the enemy tries to starve us with condemnation, you say, no, I'm gonna go eat from this tree. Tries to starve us with shame and isolate us. No, I'm not alone. I'm not isolated. I've not been forgotten. I'm not cut off. And there may be moments in our life when we feel really cut off from people, but the truth is, is you're never cut off. It can be a season where you're like, ooh, I've got some fallout in relationship, but you're never cut off. So this dynamic in our marriage and how this played out in my life, because I was in this constant place of fear of disconnection, don't wanna be, you know, don't want shame. And so I I did a lot of this kind of like hiding, you know, and, and, and never fully being myself. So I lived feeling very alone. I felt, even when I was surrounded by people, I felt really alone because I'm like, no one really knows me. No one knows me. And the truth is, is that I had to let God know me first. 
I had to know myself first and then let God know me. And it has been a process. So this dynamic in our marriage, um, early on, uh, so Joel said that he, you know, was in self-reliance where it's like, there's nothing wrong with me. If I had problems and I'd get it handled myself, let's just work on you. And so I was like, oh, I have needs. I feel bad that I do, but I don't wanna communicate it to you. So I'm just gonna be a brat and be passive aggressive. And why are you mad? Oh, you wouldn't care anyway. You know, you just go do your, you know, y'all have never said that before, right? So this was our marriage, you know, where he's like, everything's fine. I'm like, Nothing is fine, but you don't even care to recognize it, you know? So, um, so I didn't want to like ever tell him whenever, and I didn't even know why I was so disappointed all the time, why I felt like nef- nothing ever measured up, like just, ooh, you know? So um, one way that it always happened was uh, I didn't have the confidence to reach out to friends to hang out. I... I never wanted to invite anyone over because I feared the rejection of it. So I would wait to be invited. And so I never took initiative with my life. Like, I feel like up until like recently where I was like, well, I'm just gonna let everyone else determine the course of my life and just let the cards fall, however. And, and I'll just hopefully be who I know who I am deep down. But I never could like, voice it, communicate it. So um, early in marriage, he uh, would like wanna go hang out with the guys and be like, we're gonna go hang out. And I'd be like, okay, fine. And he'd be like, you should hang out with some girls. And I'm like, no, they're busy anyway. You know, you go, it's fine. And then he would be like, okay, I'm going because you said it was okay. And I'm gonna trust that my wife isn't lying to me, but I wasn't lying to him because I was angry. that he would choose the dudes over me, you know? Like, what do they have that, there it goes again. I should have been a boy, then he'd wanna hang out with me. Right? Like, they got the X factor, I'm just his wife, you know? So, so this was like a cycle. He'd like leave and I'd get mad and then he'd come home and I, you know, I'd finally get over it. But I was never able to communicate what was going on. And he was afraid then to ever go hang out with the guys because he knew I was going to beat the out of him, you know? And so he uh, one day was like, what is the issue? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm a, I finally could trust enough to say, I just feel like you like them more than me. And he was like, What? I was like, I just feel like they're more important to you. I'm afraid that, that you're gonna like them more and that you're gonna make them a priority over me because of previous experiences in my life this has happened and that you're not gonna want to hang out with me and that I've gotta prove that I am you know, just as cool as them or just as fun as them for you to wanna stay home and say no to them and say yes to me. And he was like, oh my gosh. He was like, don't you know that you are the most important thing to me? And I'm like, I don't, I don't. Like that's where the the lie was exposed, where it's like, I don't know that I am the most important thing to you. Not necessarily because of anything you've done, but I don't trust you. I don't trust your heart for me. And so we went through this process of just talking about, I don't trust you. I I wanna be the most important thing to you. And and if he had been operating in self-reliance, he would have been like, well, that's ridiculous. Don't you know I love you? 
Why, why do you feel that way? Suck it up. Or if he was in selfishness, like, how dare you? I can't even go out with the guys. And you just, every time I wanna go out with the guys, you wanna take from me and you wanna steal my fun. But he operated in compassion. He realized this is actually really not about me. Her need for attention is not really about me. This is actually about her need right now. And so I'm gonna enter in compassion. I'm gonna see from her perspective. I think it's ridiculous, but I'm gonna enter in. <laughs> I'm gonna lay aside and I'm gonna say, oh my gosh, I had no idea you felt that way, but I understand. What do you need in order to not feel that way? Well, when we're in a room full of people, I need you to come and stand beside me. I need you to hug me. I need you to kiss me. I need you to tell me you are the most important person in this room to me. He's like, I think I can do that. And whenever, uh, whenever we have plans and you wanna change them, um, I need you to talk to me first because then I feel seen and understood. And so we talked through, okay, what does loving you out of this look like? And so maybe there's some of you in this place where you're like, I need to have a conversation like that with my spouse, with my mom, with my dad, with my friend. This is what loving me well looks like. And I'm so sorry that I'm a brat, but I think I'm a brat because this is why. There's no shame. This is just how I've learned how to relate to get my needs met. When I was a kid, I was the biggest brat with my friends. I'd like sit in the corner and they'd be like, Lauren, you wanna come play? I'd be like, no. Well, what's wrong? <sighs> Nothing. Be like, okay, well, whenever you want to play, we're over there. Fine, fine. There, look, they're rejecting me again. That's how I learned how to relate. So I wanted attention, so I would m manipulate and be passive aggressive so they would come over and give me the attention I wanted. That's how I learned how to get my needs met, and I carried that into marriage. Can anyone relate? Yes. And God is like, there's just a better way to relate than that. We don't have to relate on junk food relating. I've got pure tree of life food to relate through. We can eat that life, not this junk food life. So in self-condemnation, we, the lie is that, or we believe I do have needs, but I feel bad that I do. I have needs, but I feel bad about it. I shouldn't need attention. I shouldn't need respect. I shouldn't need affirmation. I shouldn't need comfort. I shouldn't need security. Oh, and if I didn't need it, then they wouldn't disconnect from me. I believed that the way I received love was a burden. I felt like I was a burden. That's what I felt like. I'm a burden. Oh, and often shows up as critical of others, also defensive when criticized by others because wounds are already deep from our, our own self-criticism. It's hard to confront someone who's stuck in self-condemnation. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you've been like, we've got an issue in our relationship and you go to confront them and they're like, it's because they've already beat themselves up before you even get there. That's me. Like, don't you know that I'm worthless and now you're telling me I'm worthless? So oftentimes it's hard to confront. The definition of condemnation is the expression of very strong disapproval, the action of condemning someone to a punishment 
So there's that, that punishment paradigm, the wrong tree. So signs of self-condemnation are constant comparison, eyes focused on what you're not and don't have, critical of self and others. You can't receive a compliment with gratitude. You deflect, you downplay, you minimize. Hey, that thing you did, that was really great. Well, it's God. It wasn't me. Or, oh, you know, I'm, it's, it's insignificant. You can't celebrate others. You feel like it's your fault that someone isn't loving you well. So you're like, do I have self-condemnation? If any of those things, that is self-condemnation ringing in you. And it's not you. It's the enemy that's just trying to keep you stuck. Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So self-condemnation keeps us from receiving our adoption in connection back to the Father. Self-condemnation will keep us from boldly approaching the throne of grace because we feel unworthy. We fear punishment and disconnection. So it's like whenever we were like for prayer, for healing, like whenever Jared was like, there's miracles in the room right now, you can receive it. God was like, I want to do it. Come in boldly. I want to heal you. It's my joy. That pain that you've been struggling with, that you've gotten prayer for for years, it's not a burden. I wanna heal you. But oftentimes self-condemnation will say, don't approach God. He's too busy for you. Or don't you know, you've already asked him for that thing. But can you see how experiences in our life can make us relate to God that way? It's like, oh, I needed that thing as a child and I didn't have that. And it, I felt like a burden because I was a girl and I cried a lot. I felt like I was a burden. So we carry that and we're like, oh, if I just wasn't that way. Self-condemnation will keep us isolated and disconnected in our relationships. Shame and self-condemnation will keep you from creativity and risk. Self-condemnation will keep you from creativity and risk. And that's where the enemy got me. My creativity and my, I didn't climb a tree till I was 20. I didn't own a cell phone till I was like 21. I was so bound up in fear and risking and the fallout from it that I was just stuck. So if you're in this place where you're like, like in me, where it's like, I knew I had these gifts and this stuff in me, but I was like, I don't know how to get this out. It was, it was shame and it was self-condemnation that was pushing it down where I'm like, I just wanna offer myself to the world, but I can't, I can't. It was shame and self-condemnation. So how did I get out? How did I get out of it? It's so simple, but it can be really hard. You wanna know? It's gratitude. Whoever thought that gratitude would remove shame? That gratitude would remove that feeling of disconnection? Because when we stay in that place of, oh, I'm unworthy, I shouldn't receive that gift, I shouldn't need that thing, it's so ungrateful. Instead of just saying, I am worthy to receive this gift, and I receive it. Someone gives you a compliment, thank you. Someone gives you a gift, Thank you. You have favor and increase in your life. Thank you. It didn't come from me anyway. It's a gift. 
Gratitude is the way you overcome self-condemnation. Thankfulness acknowledges that you've done something for me, which is a confession that you've imparted worth and value to me. So when I say thank you, that means I'm acknowledging you're imparting value to me. You're imparting worth to me. I'm worthy of this gift. Thankfulness requires surrender. This is how we abide through thankfulness. It's how we stay in Christ. It's, it's, it's through thankfulness. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. So don't be worried. Whenever we're stuck in shame and self-condemnation, my brain was just stressed all the time, just anxious and worried because I didn't feel worthy to come in and bring my daily request to God. Where it says, faith-filled requests before God uh, throughout each day, be in prayer throughout each day. You have to know that you're worthy and that you have value if you are going to talk to God all day, every day. If you feel like you're a burden, you're not gonna talk to God all day, every day, because you're, be, you're gonna fear that you're gonna be treated like that annoying kid that just won't go away and shut up, you know? Maybe you were told that as a kid, just be quiet, just sit down. But God says, no, I want you to talk to me all day, every day. And if you'll do that, you won't live in shame and self-condemnation. And in that, I'm gonna guard your mind I'm gonna give you peace. You don't have to live in disconnection. Thanksgiving puts us in Christ and puts up protective barriers, which will keep the enemy from having access to our hearts. Thankfulness feeds trust. True joy is only found at the table of Thanksgiving. So if you lack joy in your life, you're like, why can't I just be happy? Why, why is that a burden? It's in thankfulness that you'll find joy. So, truth empties condemnation out of your cup. So during the song, we're like, fill my cup till it overflows. But you're like, my cup is full of a bunch of junk. There's not enough room for you, God, right? So we've got these cups, you know, and at the bottom of that is often disappointment and just bleh, you know? The way that you empty that is through his truth. You empty out condemnation through his truth. So, so the key is receiving the truth of your worth. So we, we, we say, I'm gonna be thankful, I'm gonna receive that gift, and I'm gonna replace that lie with truth. I'm worthy, I'm worthy of acceptance, I'm worthy of connection. I'm worthy to be in relationship apart from my performance. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I just walk up to this tree and I just eat from the tree of life and I'm filled up. The truest you is who God says you are. The truest you is who God says you are. So if you're wrestling with what is my identity, who am I? 
The truest you is who God says you are. So get alone with God and ask him, who do you say I am? Who am I in you? Okay, I'm gonna wrap up. So I made choices for my life and formed habits based out of my perception of my worth. I felt unworthy. And I just desire, my desire for y'all is that you would not walk away from this place questioning your worth. That we would walk into this week of thanksgiving truly thankful. Not feeling unworthy of connection I know we're about to go back into relationships with people that probably are hard sometimes. Maybe those people that put that shame on you or that rejection on you. My desire is that you would be able to walk back into those situations so confident of your worth that no matter what anyone puts on you, it's not gonna, it's not gonna steal your joy. It's not gonna steal your life. Psalm 139.5 says, you've gone into my future to prepare the way and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. So why don't we uh, make some declarations? Why don't y'all stand with me? So why don't y'all repeat this after me? My worth is far greater than rubies. I am worthy of all my inheritance in Jesus. There is no condemnation for me. I'm not a burden. I will live with life overflowing with, I will live life overflowing with gratitude. Isaiah 54, four says, do not fear for you will not be put to shame and do not feel humiliated or ashamed for you will not be disgraced for you will forget the shame of your youth and you will no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. The shame that was ours, he bore on the cross. He bore it on the cross and it is not yours to carry. And so I just feel like this Thanksgiving that God I feel like God wants to break off some shame right now. I feel like he just wants shame off of us. Maybe even someone said to you, shame on you. And I just wanna say, shame off of you. Shame off of you. I'm gonna say, shame off of you. Shame off of you. We break shame in Jesus' name, shame off of you. You have to go shame, shame off of you. Shame off of you. Shame off of you. Shame, it has to go. You're a daughter, you're chosen, you're worthy. Shame off of you. 
Shame off of you. Shame off of you, Sozo Church. Shame off of you, people of God. Shame off of you. Your choices don't define you. The mistakes that you've made don't define you. Shame off of you. You're a child of God. You're chosen. You're worthy. You're worthy to sit at the throne of God. You're worthy. This shame will not carry on to your children, your children's children, that you will be the one that breaks the cycle of shame in your family. Shame off of you. Shame off of you. Jesus wants to touch you. He wants to know you. He wants to be intimate with you. He sees you. He formed you in your mother's womb. And he's so proud of you. He's so proud of you. This Thanksgiving will mark a new chapter in your life. It's gonna be the turning point where being thankful takes on a whole new meaning for you. You didn't realize that being thankful would break the chains that are holding you from your destiny. So as you go into this week, as you sit at that table of thanksgiving, may you receive joy from the tree of life. May you be overflowing with thankfulness. And may you, through that thankfulness, step into who God created you to be. In Jesus' name. There's gonna be people up here at the front. I know we've gone a little over time, but if you have something in your life and you, you're like, I've never told anyone that. I need to just get it off my chest. I just wanna invite you to come, come up here. They're just gonna partner with you. You don't need to confess anything. They're, they're not your priest. You don't need to confess to them in order to be forgiven. But I do know that there's power in bringing light into something. There's power in, in getting it out and saying, I need to just get this off my chest and I need someone to pray with me. I need someone to speak truth over me. So if you need that ministry, then would you come forward?